We have been talking largely about the doctor and the dentist, the healthcare providers, relationship to the patient. We've looked at providing attention to the patient that comes, looking at the patient as a whole person. We've talked about respect and sympathy and inspiring hope. We've talked about making transitions into spiritual things. But I want us to focus in this last session on one Bible passage that speaks specifically to the needs of medical providers. I invite you to bow your heads as we pray in this last session, asking God to do something special in our own lives. Because the reality of the matter is and God can never do something through me until he does something to me. He can never do something with me until he does something for me. He can never, I can never be a true minister until I am ministered to. And so we want to focus on what was happening in Jesus' life before he met that woman and why he was able to minister. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the joy, for the privilege of ministering to the King of Kings. Deeply embed upon our minds that we have a calling, not merely a profession. Right upon the consciousness of our brains, the sacredness of being a medical missionary for Jesus. Teach us that just like you said to your disciples, that you have sent them into the world, that we are God sent, that the gifts you've given us in medical skills, that the specialties that you've let us in are divinely sanctified. May we never lose sense in the complexity of modern medicine, of our identity. And reveal to us that we're Christian medical providers. But even a step beyond that, reveal to us that we're Seventh-day Adventists. With a mission and a message for a final generation to prepare a people for the return of our Lord, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Thank you for this calling and open our hearts to a special blessing in this last session today. In Christ's name, amen. I invite you to take your Bibles and go back to the story. The story of a desperate woman who found hope. The story of a guilt-ridden woman who found peace. The story of a powerless woman who found strength. The story of a lonely woman who found belonging. The story of a suspicious woman who found someone to trust. The story of an abandoned woman who was adopted. The story of a Christ who looked beyond gender, who looked beyond social status, who looked beyond the conventional norms. The story of a Jesus that reached out to minister in incredibly remarkable ways. But I want to focus in this session 
not what was going on in her life, but what was going on in his life. I want to focus not on her physical needs, but his. Not on her emotions, but his. Not what was going on with the patient, but what was going on with the provider. And we come to that in John, the fourth chapter, in the sixth verse. I've left this verse intentionally for the last of our presentations this morning. John, chapter four, verse six. Now, Jacob's well was there. What a historic environment. Jacob, the father of Israel, Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 sons of Jacob. Jacob had purchased this piece of property. It was a sacred piece of property by its very nature. It had historic significance in Israel. When Jacob died, he gave this piece of property to his son Joseph. When Joseph died, his bones were brought back and buried here. This was a sacred spot. This was hallowed ground. And here, Jesus came to share the mysteries of eternity with a woman. John 4, verse 6. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now you are well aware that Israelites often mark the hours of the day from sunrise in the morning, and that the sixth hour would have been high noon. So it's about 12 o'clock. Jesus began his journey that morning at sunrise, and he likely walked 15 to 20 miles, the best I could calculate it. So here is Jesus traversing Palestinian sands in the blazing sun. Here is Jesus, who has walked 15 to 20 miles with little to drink. His throat is parched. His legs are weary and tired. He is sweat-tinged, smelly and dirty. He comes and rests at the side of a well. The divine Son of God was weary, exhausted, and tired. He had been up early in the morning and began his journey at sunrise. He's walked at least 15 to 20 miles. He's traversed and arrived at Jacob's well. Now imagine this scene. I want you to picture it in your mind. I want you to capture the significance of this moment. Imagine this scene. The creator of sun, moon, and stars, sweaty, dirty, thirsty, at the mercy of a stranger beside Jacob's well. Imagine this scene, the one worshiped by angels and praised by 10,000 times 10,000 heavenly beings, physically exhausted in a hostile land. Imagine this scene, the one who hung worlds in space, leaning against the rough stones of an ancient well with his energy drained. As human, he had nothing to drink. As divine, he created brooks and ponds and rivers and streams. Remember, as human, he hungered for 40 days of fasting. 
but as divine. He took five loaves and two fishes and fed the multitudes. As human, he slept on a stormy sea, but as divine, he rose from the sleep and spoke three words, and the tempest fell flat before him. He was so human that he attended a wedding, and he was so divine when he arrived there in the celebration that he transformed water into wine. He was so human that he wept when his friend Lazarus died, but he was so completely divine that he walked to his tomb, spoke to the grave, and reunited Lazarus with his sisters. I want to focus for a few moments, not so much on the divine Christ, but on the human Christ. I want to look at his weariness, his exhaustion, his tiredness in the context of his ministry. And I want to focus, too, on your weariness, your tiredness, your exhaustion. Because there are times that healthcare providers, there are times that physicians, there are times that dentists, halfway through the day, about that 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning. You say, Pastor, I feel that way at 8.30 in the morning. But there are those times in the day when you feel incredibly exhausted. And there are times that you feel, I cannot see one more person sitting at the well that day. Exhausted from travel, thirsty and fatigued from the journey, Jesus ministered to a hopeless woman. Have you ever felt fatigued, like Jesus must have felt that day. Has patient care ever exhausted you? In the midst of hectic responsibilities, with full waiting rooms, and more patients to see than you feel capable of seeing, have you ever felt on the verge of burnout. How could Jesus be in the midst of medical ministry with more to do than he was capable humanly of doing, with more patience to see than he was more capable of dealing with, with more blind eyes to heal, with more deaf ears to unstop, with more palsied arms to cure, with more surgeries to perform, if you please, by casting demons out of people. How could Jesus do that? Do we get any hint from any of the research that is being done on burnout among medical professionals of what buoys their spirits and encourages their hearts? And how do you apply that research to what was going on in Jesus' life. Now, research over the last 10 years has shown that burnout is a particular constellation of emotional exhaustion, detachment, and a low sense of accomplishment that that's widespread among medical students and doctors in training. If you look at medical students, one medical student said to me, when I went to high school, it was like drinking from a water fountain. When I went to college, it was like a fire hose turned on me. But when I went to medical school, it was like I was standing underneath the waterfall and so much was gushing by me. Burnout is common 
among medical students at med school. But recently, we have now had one of the first major studies of burnout among fully trained doctors in a wide range of specialties. Mayo Clinic let out in the study, some of you may be familiar with it, looked at 7,000 physicians of a variety of studies. And I've been analyzing that study. It's very interesting. Let me read you one paragraph. Analyzing questionnaires sent to more than 7,000 doctors, researchers found that almost half complained of being emotionally exhausted, feeling detached from their patients and work, or suffering from a low sense of accomplishment. The researchers then compared the doctors' responses with those of 3,500 people working in other fields and found that even after adjusting for variables like gender, age, number of hours worked, and the amount of education, the doctors were still more likely to suffer from burnout. Now, the interesting thing to me, the interesting thing to me was that half of the physicians surveyed, now they weren't Adventists, they certainly weren't coming to amen, but half of these physicians surveyed were experiencing burnout. How does that impact patient care? How does that impact the quality of life given to the patient? And how does that impact the personal life of the physician? I mean, these are very serious kind of issues. Dr. Tate Schonenfeld of the Mayo Clinic, who was the prime researcher in the study, said this, we're not talking about a few individuals who are disorganized or not functioning well under pressure. We're talking about one out of every two doctors who already survived rigorous medical training. The summary of the study went something like this. The study casts a grim light on what it's like to practice medicine in the current healthcare system. A significant portion of doctors feel trapped, thwarted by the limited time they're allowed to spend with patients, stymied by the ever-changing rules set by insurers and other payers on what they can prescribe or offer as treatment, and frustrated by the fact that any gains in efficiency offered by electronic medical records are so soon offset by numerous newly designed administrative tasks that must be completed on the computer. Anybody identify with that paragraph? <laughs> Anybody not identify with that paragraph? Now here is the interesting thing in the study. In one little line, as I'm analyzing that, something jumps out at me. Dr. Seinfeld says, doctors are losing their inspiration. Now that's fascinating stuff. Because if you have a doctor who in the midst of all this complexity still maintains the fire in their soul, the passion in their belly, if they still maintain this excitement of God's calling to ministry, it is one of the greatest antidotes, one of the greatest remedies for burnout. Sure, taking time off makes a difference. Sure, getting adequate exercise makes a difference. Sure, drinking that magic potion as you work. Some people understand this, others don't. You don't need to worry about it. Some pe drinking that magic juice as you work, you know, keeping on going with that. 
Sure, that inspires you. Sure, that kind of stuff can, can keep you going. Bill, you know. <laughs> um, you know, it's very interesting. Diet, exercise, rest. That sure makes all the difference, right? But if you lose that inspiration, if you lose that which called you to, to, to medical ministry in the first place, burnout is a lot more prevalent. Schoenfeld comes to the end of his study and he makes this observation from these 7,000 interviews among physicians. This is what he says. If people work in an environment where they believe there is meaning, they'll put up with a lot. Believing there is meaning. Believing that I have a purpose. Believing that I am doing more than healing people, cooperating with Jesus and healing people for time, but that I am healing them for eternity. This is one of the greatest remedies against burnout. So preacher, how do you do that? How do you keep the fire alive in your soul? How do you keep the passion burning in your heart? How do you keep the inspiration alive? You share, you live by the strength that is divine. Jesus did not live by human strength, mental acumen, emotional resiliency. He had all those. But morning by morning, Jesus came before the Father. And it was there that he found strength. It was there that he found new hope. It was there that he found courage. It was there that he found purpose. It was there that he found meaning. Jesus, sitting wearied by a well, exhausted, tired, was able to minister because there was an inner spiritual strength that shined through this physical exhaustion. Jesus was able to serve the bread of life because he had experienced a banquet with the Father that morning. Jesus was able to serve to her living water because it bubbled over from his own spirit. Jesus was able to share the waters of life that flowed from his own soul. Notice what Jesus says in John chapter 4 and verse 30. Jesus talks about the water of life. John 4 verse 30 and onward. The disciples come back to Jesus, and they're concerned that he has not had anything to eat or drink. And Jesus says to them, verse 30 to 32, Then they went out to the city, and they came back to him. 
In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? And I would include anything to drink. And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. There was this sense in Jesus' life of inner strength. Might I say to you that if you rush off in the morning to serve without the spiritual water of life flowing into your soul, if you rush off into your practice without the nourishment that comes from Jesus himself, that the days are going to be long, that the mental exhaustion is going to set into your life like a dark cloud, is important, I repeat, as diet and exercise and following the seven laws of health are, eight laws of health are. There is a spiritual component in which we receive strength from God. I love the way John puts it in 1 John. He, in, in the, not the Gospel of John, but the little letter of John in 1 John chapter 1 is put this way. 1 John chapter 1. John shares the essence of all ministry. The essence of all ministry is a personal encounter with Christ. And might I say to you, and I don't want to be misunderstood, it is not simply praying with patience, but it's being a prayer to your patience. By that I mean this. It is not merely offering a perfunctory prayer with patience. To mark that off on a checklist of things that are done, it's having such a heart experience with Jesus and feeling so desperate in dealing with complex issues that you don't have solutions to, that you are driven to a bondedness of concern and love with a patient where you share a prayer experience. So there is a far difference between offering a prayer and sharing a prayer experience. It is not simply sharing spirituality. It is being spiritual. It is not merely mentioning the name of Christ. It is being an authentic Christian. And here, John shares the reality of that in 1 John chapter 1 and onward. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we've seen, 1 John 1, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of God. The life was manifest. We've seen, we bear witness. We declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and manifest to us, verse 3, that which we have seen. In other words, John is saying, I've experienced this with my own eyes. I have seen Christ. Have you had a vision of the living Christ? That which we've seen, that which we've heard. John says, I've heard Jesus speaking to my heart and mind. Have you seen Christ in the morning? 
Have you heard Jesus speaking strength and courage to you? When you feel on the verge of burnout yourself, when you feel exhausted as a health care provider, listen silently in the depths of your soul to Jesus speaking to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. When you feel somewhat exhausted, listen to Jesus speaking to you, the words of Isaiah in chapter 43:10, be thou not afraid, I will strengthen you, I'm holding you in my hand. Listen to Christ speaking to you from the words of Psalms, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we, therefore will not we fear that the earth be removed. Let the words of scripture that you have filled your heart with, with a personal encounter with Christ in the morning, Strengthen your heart, buoy your soul, encourage your spirit throughout the day. Listen, John says, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly, I love it, truly, verily, certainly, without a doubt, definitely, and truly, and truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Why could Jesus minister in the midst of a busy life as the Gospels say there were so many coming to and fro that there wasn't even time to eat? How could he minister in that context? Because his divine purpose was to do the will of the Father and he had been strengthened from on high by God and received unusual supernatural strength. Desire of Ages puts it this way. In that chapter, Come Rest a While, on Desire of Ages, page 363. And Ellen White puts it so beautifully, we must individually hear him speaking to the heart. When every other voice is hushed, and in quietness we wait before him, the silence of the soul makes more distinct the voice of God. He bids us be still and know that I am God. Here alone can true rest be found. And this is the effectual preparation for all who labor for God amidst the hurrying throng. Have you ever felt in a hurry? Amidst the hurrying throng and the strain of life's intense activities. Do you have too little to do? So that halfway through the day, you have that extra hour and you put your feet up on your desk and read your favorite biography? The physicians that I know can identify with this passage. They're part of the hurrying wrong. Their life is filled with frenetic, my word, intense activities, Ellen White's words. Notice, amidst the hurrying throng and the strain of life's intense activities, the soul that is thus refreshed will be surrounded with an atmosphere of light and peace. The life will breathe out a fragrance and reveal a divine power that will reach men's hearts and women's hearts. 
This is a picture of the true gospel medical missionary. From the overflow of your devotional experience, your soul is refreshed as you walk into your patient's office without saying a word. There is an atmosphere of light and peace about you. Heavenly angels accompany you into that office. And there is a calmness. There is this sense of light and peace. As you begin to speak, you breathe out a fragrance in the care and compassion of your very words that give assurance, that bring trust to your patients. Why could Jesus minister like this? He could stand before men and women because he had knelt before his father. Multitudes said, no man speaks like this. No man ever spoke like Jesus because no man ever lived like Jesus. From the richness and overflow of his experience with God, he ministered. And may I be so bold to suggest to you this morning that the research on burnout holds a key to understanding Christian health care. That when Dr. Shenfield says doctors are losing their inspiration, when they discover deeper purpose and place medical care in perspective, it makes a difference. When we lose sight of the vision, of why God has called us. Medicine is the most challenging, exhausting work in the world. But when the vision of who we are, our identity in Christ, the vision of being God sent, the vision of why we are called, when that vision is clear in our minds, sharp in our focus, Medicine is exciting, inspiring, thrilling. It's an opportunity to touch lives in ways that they couldn't be touched in any other way. That's what amen is all about. And that's what you're doing. Dr. Alva, come join me. You are making this application of what we're talking about in your medical practice. As the result of that, you never get tired. <laughs> Come, my brother. <laughs> how do you apply this in your practice? How do you, how do you, how do you stay fresh and vibrant? You know, I, I've interviewed and shared with you and your wife on, on a number of occasions. And uh, I know, you know, like the old preacher, you have to get tired at times. But you, you have this sense of inspiration about you, and, and you and your wife and your medical practices bring together this sense of, of, of loving medicine and this sense of a purpose-driven medicine. How do you keep fresh? 
I think every day when you know that God is the one that woke you up and gave you a reason, uh, surrounded you with family, surrounded you with all his blessings, and uh, just like Joe, uh, we're focused on the eschatology of our human uh, body, you know, gastroenterology, colonoscopies. Sometimes we see the dark part of that, but God always brings our minds up. And just like he, in his experience, I used to practice just like everybody else, dispense a lot of proton pump inhibitors next to for reflux and not realizing that God has a greater plan my mother had to have colon cancer for me to be down on my knees and recognize that I was, you know, all about nothing and not about my father's business many years ago. What difference has Amen made to your medical practice? Has it made any difference at all? Well, to see that there is uh, a number of people seeking the Lord, the Lord's wisdom every day to deal with daily situations that are hard, that are frustrating. Uh, but are full of promise and full of uh, hope as well. How do you see your identity as a, as a physician? Um, how do you see yourself? Well, we're ambassadors in a place where, where there's a for-profit hospital, uh, completely uh, secular, but people, the word of mouth uh, is that we pray there, there's hope there, there's teaching, there's healing. Uh, God is obviously the one responsible for all of that. Now, you mentioned you're in a secular setting, but yet you pray. How do you harmonize those two environments? Uh, actually, secular people are open to prayer. They appreciate that because no one else will do it. Uh, if you just trust the Lord and do it, because he he wants you to do it at that time with that particular patient. Sometimes in an open environment, okay. uh, the blessing of God is there because people see it. They're asking you, what is all this? You just, just have to you know, trust that your life also reflects that. Doc, I'm the patient. You're the doctor. I'm coming into your office. You ready? Okay. <laughs> um, doctor, you know, you probably noticed the charts. Um, I've been having a little, I don't know, a, a little pain in my stomach recently and I you know I mean it's not been too long just about the last six months and um, it's pretty sharp here and it's and you know I kind of really is bothering me it's you know the first couple months I didn't think much of it I thought well maybe it's a little indigestion or something but uh, I'll tell you the last couple months has been really intense what has been going on during this last two to six months? I don't know. You know, I am... Um, I can't put my finger on it too much. Um, my work, you know, I'm, I'm a middle-level manager at our factory, and um, it's been a lot of extra work. Uh, we've added a night shift. I, I do work till about two in the morning. I, try to get back in about seven, um, but I don't think that would have anything to do with it. I'm sleeping just, a, you know, I may be sleeping a little less. I do feel kind of a little bit of stress, and um, not that much, though. You need a vacation, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> but, Doc, you've got to help me with this stomach business well, of mine. And, you know, yeah. I, I don't, does diet play any difference in that? Yeah, way? when you kind of put a finger on 
that pain, we can actually put a scope on that pain and see what the problem may be. But I, yes, yeah. I get nervous when scopes are going in me, though. Well, you know, somebody will put you to sleep, and that's not. Uh, but I don't like that. I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, my mother also didn't want to have a colonoscopy, and she ended up with colon cancer. So you know, we'll deal with that later. Uh, we don't have to worry about that. Right now, we have to talk about. Yeah, you asked me the right question. Your lifestyle, what you're doing. Mm -hmm at your work and the stuff you eat. You're probably not eating the healthiest things. Tell me what you eat. Well, usually um, I try, because I get to get away in the morning so quick, you know. I don't, I mean, like everybody else, I eat a couple, drink a couple cups of coffee, maybe eat a donut, you know, but it, it keeps me over till lunch till I can mm -hmm. have a hamburger and french fries. <laughs> <laughs> then, you know, in the evening yeah. I get home, uh, you know, it's kind of late sometimes, sometimes I'm not. You know, I stay late shift, but usually about nine o'clock, my wife will make yeah. a great meal for me, you know, and uh, so, I mean, I think it's okay. Yeah. Your bowels probably are directing your life and are the focus of your stress, mm -hmm. so they have to relax first, and the way to relax is, is just a complex number of things that you have to do, but first is to give your body what it needs. Mm -hmm. What is that? Uh, water for a drink. It's simple. I drink a glass a day. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's a good start. <laughs> you have to increase that during the day. The more coffee you drink, the more water you lose. So for every cup of coffee, you're losing that much of water also. You think I should cut down from eight cups to seven a day? Just give it a try. <laughs> for every less cup of coffee you do, increase a cup of water. Okay. Just do that over that a week that or so. Sense. That makes sense. And you'll, you'll start feeling better. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing is your diet. Uh, I also struggled with that a long time ago. I used to not eat breakfast, I used to just go through the day mm -hmm. and uh, eat whatever was offered to me, cookies, uh, graham crackers, uh, orange juice. Mm -hmm. I never dwell on the heavier stuff, you know, the hamburgers and the pizzas, but your body suffers as a consequence of that. So that is something that is gonna make a big difference on you. And then use, I learned also the hard way to do this, Learn to eat the produce of the ground, roots, vegetables. Mm -hmm. I usually do it in Spanish. This is in Spanish, so, okay. you know, it's probably <laughs> not coming so natural right now. But uh, yeah, the roots of the grounds and the leaves, the green leaves, are, are good for you. You know, your bowel is full of bacteria. Okay. There's actually more bacteria in your bowels than cells in your body. So you are a bunch of bacteria and a little bit of you. Mm. Are you going to so give me some medicine to take care of that? We have to live in peace. Yeah. The medicine is already there and I'm just going to prescribe and issue prescription green vegetable juices to start your day and uh, lots of water and then a plant-based diet and thankfully we have somebody in the office that can teach him a lot about a plant-based diet other than myself so I can go over and usually by this time they have relaxed and I can put a hand on their shoulder and say you need to have peace in your heart. We have a, a magazine that is uh, named Peace Peace in the Storm in Spanish, Pasen la Tormenta. And they have usually been reading that already. Okay. So they know what we're talking about and they see the, the boat toast in the waters and they see Jesus there. So they know, they know that there's something coming. So says, do you want to have this peace that only God can give you? And they say, yes. yes. I, I haven't found anyone that says no. Right. And then I say, can we ask that Lord of the ocean and the waters and the troubles to put peace in your heart? And they say, yes. So we pray. I didn't tell Dr. Alva what I was going to do today, and uh, he did great. I mean, you know, the, here, the, here's the model. Start 
with where the problem is that the patient has. So we, he began, and it was a beautiful model that he kind of led me through. He started with the cause of this pain. He bridged from there down to an analysis of what was going on in my life. He then went to a deeper level of how that could be cured and dealt with modalities of cure then bridged into the idea of stress and peace and offered to pray with me. It was a logical flow of progression that was very, very well done. Thank you so much, Dr. Alva. I really, really appreciate that. My question to you, what is the most significant takeaway that you are going to take away with you from last night and this morning? In one sentence, give me your takeaway. Expression deepens impression. So express in a single sentence what you heard said last night, what you heard said this morning, what is your takeaway from this time that we've had together? Okay, just stand wherever you are and say, you know what, here's an insight, here's an idea. Here's a takeaway. Here's something that was meaningful to me. Okay? Yes? Everyone in the office, everyone in the hospital is a comfort giver. Everyone in the office, and I'll repeat just for those that may not hear. Everyone in the office, everyone in the hospital is a comfort giver. So let me tell you what I heard you say by that. That intentionally it's going to be necessary to give some education to people around you in your sphere of influence, okay? Somebody else, what's your takeaway? Yes. You can't give away that which you have not received. And while we all try to snack on God, he's waiting to give us a full meal. Yes, the manna falls every day, doesn't it? Okay, somebody else, what's your takeaway? Children of God ministering to children of God. I like that concept. Yeah, that's a good concept, isn't it? Children of God ministering to children of God. We're giving Dave some exercise this morning. Uh, the thought that came to me uh, just now is that I think of that statement in the ministry of healing that the, the holy influence of the Holy Spirit is the very best medicine that we can give. And obviously we can't dispense it unless we actually have it in, in the supply. Mm -hmm. So really all of this creating a story, we're wanting to introduce people to a bigger meta-narrative, a, a bigger story, and the Holy Spirit is the one that's already doing that, and we just enter into his work. Mm -hmm. Is there any takeaway? That, yes, doctor. Just want to say from personal experience, I've never had joy in medicine until Christ came into my life and until I started ministering to my patients. And just like you said, it brings tremendous energy. We don't get tired. There is a divine energy that comes from viewing medical work as ministry. There is an energy to that that brings strength to the entire system. Now, I want to continue to emphasize that does not bypass the physical laws of health that all of us as 
health care providers um, that, that govern our bodies. Sure, but there is that energy when you get direction. Anybody else want to share? Yes. Connecting with God in order to connect with people to connect them back with God. That's a nice phrase, isn't it? Might be one worth writing on a little card that we keep in our Bibles. Daily I connect with God so I can connect with people to connect them back to God. Amen. It's a good summary. Yes, yes, back here. Viewing who we encounter as a divine appoint appointment. Yeah, Jesus did that with the woman at the well, didn't he? She was not an interruption to his daily routine, but rather she was part of that divine appointment. Yes. God is, help, is waiting to help me help each person who comes to me heavenward through their need. Okay, thank you. A question, yeah, oh, we got many. Roberta, and then back to the front row. This is a sharing time that is, as you share, you inspire somebody else. I, li I like the fact that uh, we need to take care of ourselves first before we can help other people. And just connecting the spiritual with the health it's really an important thing that we need to be reminded every single time and with every single patient. Sure, that sure happened to Jesus, didn't it, that morning before he went to the woman at the well. Yes. Roberta. Um, all of this has made me think of um, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. That is a wonderful, wonderful verse. Now, next question. Is this all nice material or will it make a difference in your practice? Okay, somebody tell me, or to share with the group, what difference this is going to make for you. What, 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 what clearer vision, what greater consciousness, how is this going to make a difference? Can I just tell a very quick story? Yes, sir. A very quick story. I had a lady come into my office, young lady, give you a mental image, massively overweight, wearing one of these sort of flannel pajama type not really clean. If you get, I don't know if anyone else has that in their office, but I do. Abdominal complaints. We did the whole workup, endoscopic, CT, blood work. She thought it was her gallbladder. Tests weren't definitive. She ended up having her gallbladder out. Came back to my office, still having symptoms. Her mother's with her, an older copy, the same sort of look. And so I'm thinking, you know, nothing's going to help. This is hopeless. But I spent some time with her, and I told her the only thing that's going to help is really following the principles that God's given us. And I told her specifically that's, and these hill principles, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, thought, I, what am I doing? I have a whole office full of people, like you pointed out, and I'm taking this time. Why am I doing it? What a waste. But I did it just to show how cool God is. I'm seeing patients about a month later. I get a text from another physician who'd seen her. She said, she texted I saw, and she put the patient's name. She's followed your diet plan. It's not my diet plan. She looks and feels great. She's lost 80 pounds. Fantastic. Is God good or what? Yes. 
Anybody want to share how you're going to take something and apply it to your practice? Practical application time. On Tuesday, I saw a patient who I hadn't seen for two years. Um, I'd operated on, did a rotator cuff repair on one side, which seemed to do well. Then I did one on the other side, had some arthritis in that shoulder. This gentleman was an, injured in a um, tunnel accident. There was a fire. Fellow coworkers were killed. He has PTSD, blames himself, was ridden with guilt, has chronic pain. Uh, also took out his uh, right olecranon bursa when we did his left shoulder, which um, got an infection, was draining. Um, and I said, well, come back and we'll do this and this. And he didn't come back. He went back to his primary who dealt with it. Uh, got a call from this patient's wife probably a week before he came in this time and said, you got to do something for him, you know. Um, so I, I examined him. Uh, but when people are already in such chronic pain, they have all this emotional overload. He's scheduled for a QME with a psychologist. Um, uh, and, you know, what, what am I going to do for this man? And I offered to pray for him. He said, I don't want you to pray for me. You know, would you, how would you feel if you were in this terrible pain and somebody just wanted to pray for you? You know, felt like I botched that. So going away from the visit, I'm thinking, you know, I don't, I don't want to see this guy. I don't need a lawsuit. You know, what is... Uh, but listening to the story and all of this, I'm rethinking this and thinking, well, did I really enter into his story? Did I really empathize and sympathize with him? And I may not be the best one to do whatever needs to be done orthopedically for him, but I can certainly engage and show that I care and give he and his wife, who are having their, their troubles as well, hope. So um, it's been very helpful for me to take the like one of the most challenging cases of the week in my mind, emotionally for me, because that's stressful sure. for me, you know, you're, all of that. But, uh, and to kind of reframe it and say, okay, how can I do this differently and what would the Lord have me do? Thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing that. That took real vulnerability. And this is the whole purpose of the seminar to say, okay, how can I rethink experiences that I've had and reframe them. And I, I think the point you have made is, is so powerfully um, poignant. And that is, there will be times that we do not have all the medical answers. There will also be times that people do not want to explore the spiritual dimension. So here you have the spiritual dimension, here you have the physical dimension, but where we can unite with them is in the emotional, mental dimension, indicating that we care, indicating that we have empathy for them. And so, so really thank you for, for, for mentioning that, because I think that sometimes we talk about success prayer stories, but there are gonna be times that we offer to pray and people don't want that. I would not interpret that either, that you botched it. You provided an opportunity. You weren't overly aggressive in it. And this man chose not to do it. So that's, that's okay. But I think the concept of communicating hope, the concept of sympathy and empathy, I think that's what we see with Jesus at the well, that he, he cared. He had compassion. Anybody else have something? Yes. Dr. Clark. 
This next week I have a half day scheduled for our monthly staff meeting and I intend to begin the process of helping my staff understand that uh, the satisfactions of serving other people is not just for the caregiver but for the whole staff and they can all be comfort uh, givers as well and um, <coughs> I, I have a supportive staff, I have two staff who do not understand the health principles like we do and so it's going to be a process to help them understand the, the spiritual implications of, of what we're doing. That's a, I think that's one of the main reasons of the seminar. When Des and I talked about it, we talked about the fact that most of you have staffs that you work with. And to be able to communicate this concept, this con these concepts and principles to staffs, I want to end today. Oh, I'm missing somebody. Yes, let's go way in the back. I'm a pediatrician, and I deal with a lot of crazy parents, and a lot of, um, and I'm a hospitalist, and I deal with a lot of teenagers who come to the hospital with abdominal pain, and I freely admit it's very frustrating. I often roll my eyes because there's often nothing wrong with them, and we do this huge big workup in the ER, and then they send them to us to deal with them, and I am going to change the way I practice because I am going to look at these people as uh, obviously more is going on than just the abdominal pain and I need to treat them for their spiritual needs as a whole person and not just try to get them out of my hospital as soon as possible because they're frustrating. Thank you so much for sharing that. Does anybody else have something burning in their soul that they have to share? Okay, yes. Dave, you're getting faster as we go on. <laughs> I'm losing my dignity. I was quite struck by hearing um, Des say that sin attacks our inspiration. And I think that that goes along with not rushing off in the morning without eating our spiritual breakfast. Mm -hmm. And I think for me personally, that's where I will apply it. That it's just as important to spend time with my God and to receive my own inspiration, my own nourishment before I go out and try to do anything else. And that's the way to keep my inspiration. Thank you so much for sharing. I would like you, oh, front row. I'm sorry I missed you. I've been very struck by um, all the important principles that I've heard this morning. And we had talked previously about what can I do as the only Adventist in a large group. And um, I've uh, heard a lot that I can take. But one of the things that I think I need to take back is also, besides taking care of our patients, we need to take care of our staffs. That's it. And in my group, a lot of our medical assistants are single mothers. They are uh, making medical assistant salaries, trying to raise several kids, and what can I do to them? One thing I learned from my father, who was a pediatrician, is he would have prayer with his staff uh -huh. before he started. Mm -hmm. And for a while there, I was doing that. And then you get busy, and then you get tired. So you don't get up early enough. You don't get your spiritual food. You don't get your physical food. And you go off, and you're already late to start in the office. You're already late. And I've had other staff members say, Doctor, when are you going to start having the worships again in the morning? So that's one area I think I'm going to focus on is my little niche may be to take care of my staff. Because I have the medical assistance of my partners who come to me with their problems and ask me to pray because they know I pray. So I think I'm going to try to start this small ministry again with my staff 
by getting my spiritual food in the morning, getting my physical food, and trying to provide the quality, not just to my patients, but also to my staff. Thank you for these comments. Sure. Dave, we have one more. Last one. Um, to add to what uh, the doctor said, um, I do devotion with our staff almost every day. My non-Seventh-day Adventist uh, uh, MA, which I was in a crunch to hire, now started attending church. And um, she is so eager. To, she devours every word of our devotion. She, ca she can't wait to get it. Um, the last devotion we had, actually, I talked about. I use the, the book um, Conf uh, Conflict and Courage. We read the, the verse. I talk about the story, and then uh, we share. And we talked about, uh, we read about Saul and his uh, Saul and Jonathan, his son, when he ate the honey and Saul wanted to kill him. Anyway, it was all about self from Saul. And we talked about selfishness. And then we held hands and we said, We're again, dear Lord, help us that self, we, self will be buried and that we will um, uh, the, we'll have experiences uh, overcoming self and we'll bring, bring it in as we meet next time. And every one of us brought several experiences where we had overcome self by God's help to the table, and uh, it's just a, a revival thing. So, so a revival in a medical office, thank you very much. <laughs> a couple of things that are gonna be helpful to you that I don't want you to miss. Do you have your book, The Patient Experience? If you do, would you please take it and turn to pages 34 and 35. As we conclude this afternoon, I just wanna direct your attention to a few things that you can share with your staff. The chapter on the power of intentionally sharing your heart is an incredibly powerful chapter. Take a look at the caregiver communication chart. For example, if you're on page 35, the nurse enters the room. My name is Lisa, your nurse. She says, I'm here to care for you because I want you to feel better and soon recover well. She has taken less than a minute and she's identified herself she has um, told why she was here, and she has uh, told what she wants to do for them. Take a look at this chart very, very uh, carefully. Go over to the end of the book as well. There is an appendix in the end of the book that I'd like you to take a look at, is, and that's called um, page 48. Five Service Behaviors Behind a Superior Patient Experience. That's really worth taking a look at and going over with your staffs. That's page 48. And then um, there's a kind of little humorous one on Appendix A for an employee training school, training tool. This, I think, will provide an excellent resource in enhancing the patient experience. As we conclude this section, would you stand with me as we pray. Father in heaven, you have given to each one of us one of the most sacred calls that any human being could have. You have placed us in a position to minister to the physical needs of men and women, to listen 
to their emotional and mental heart cry and to hear their deeper longing for spiritual reality. Father, the call that you has given, have given to us is so sublime that it almost overwhelms us. We are ministers in the marketplace, pastors to the patient, Christ to the unconverted. Lord Jesus, we open our hearts to you. We ask you to strengthen us so we can strengthen others. We ask you to inspire us so we can inspire others. We ask you to give us hope so we can minister to those who are hopeless. And Father, may the passion for medical ministry burn brightly in our souls. May we constantly be reminded of how highly heaven values our work. And when the days are tough, when the journey is long, and we're sitting by the well, weary and exhausted, help us to know that you're going to lead some Samaritan woman by that we can minister to who will impact a city, thousands for the kingdom. Boy up our spirits, encourage our hearts, and send us to our work with a joy in our souls. In Christ's name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.